ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the On The Whistle and Shirtless Plantain Show podcast semi-final preview. We are in to the end game, ladies and gentlemen. Into, sponsored by Prime, as Courtney is showing us. Prime it's prime, out it's there. prime time. It's prime time. <laughs> it's prime time. He's actually got a prime bottle there. Goodness me. <laughs> oh, well, hold on. Hold, I've got a 12-year-old daughter. You know how impressionable okay. they are. That's that is excuse me for I understand. I understand. And a pink one to coach. Don't, don't, don't buy it, coach. It's his. It's not his daughter's. It's his. Yeah, I'm just giving I'm giving him I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but we, all, we know where it is. We know exactly where it is. Well, here here we are with more than simply football at stake. Two two giants of, of the continent culturally. Uh, and and spiritually and and everything is on the line between Nigeria and South Africa. We've seen the banter, we've seen the Amapiano versus Afro beats, we've seen we've seen the violence on the on the streets in in terms of the Twitter Twitter spaces and, and Instagram comment sections. There is proper beef here. We've even seen the on a more serious note the the Niger- Nigerian embassy issuing safety safety. Uh, papers for um, Nigerians staying in South Africa so as much as we like yeah. to banter we, we do hope people actually stay safe but it is the big one South Africa versus Nigeria Nigeria the big dogs the ones who have won a number of these trophies the ones who are coming back to the semi-finals first time in a couple of years I think 2019 that Riyad Myers free kick will, will stick in my memory for a long time yeah, sure it does I'd rather talk about well. it please thank you <laughs> But but it's been even longer for my South African brother Courtney. You you were almost playing the last time South Africa were uh, at at the Afcon semi-final stage. <laughs> well, Alistair, yes. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to remind me that because I'm very good at maths and I'm able to calculate <laughs> how long ago that was. But um, before we get into it, Alistair, and and you know, I think it's important that this is said. This is only a football game, you know. Mm-hmm. The other intricacies that this relationship had should not be drawn into anything else except the entertainment and enjoying this this wonderful spectacle of two good teams getting through this particular point, right? There shouldn't be a problem with somebody else just because they support another team. So let's, let's just stick to the football. Whoever wins, wish them well. We move on. And, and as Brother Francis would say, whoever wins Africa is the real winner. Although I will, I will also point out that he, the last time he was on a podcast, it was with Coach, and it was Nigeria, Cameroon, and now Francis <laughs> it, it hasn't come back. So, <laughs> yeah, guys, let's, can we? I have, I have done nothing to Francis. Francis is alive and well, and he's fine, guys. Yeah, I promise you. Listen to, to coach, listen to Coach articulating. I've done nothing to. <laughs> Listen, I've got an audio recording of him saying he's fine. I'm worried. Oh, no. No, honestly, guys, like, it sounds crazy. Oh, your France is not heard anymore. Why isn't he heard anymore? Oh, we haven't heard from him. I don't know. He just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think, um, I think everything Courtney said is absolutely spot on. And, you know, we all know about the tensions and whatnot. But the simple fact is, right now, and I hate using this term, but right now it is about the football a little bit, despite how political football is. Um, Nigeria, from my standpoint, unfortunately have the favourites tag here, but I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it actually matters. It, this AFCON has shown favourite. this AFCON in particular has shown, should I say, um, 
favourites just don't matter. And I feel like going forward, it set the tone now. It doesn't matter what where your where your players play their football. They've come to the AFCON now and it's an even playing field. It is. Everybody has had a bad day at the AFCON, even if they haven't lost, they they might have underperformed because of this, that and the other. Everyone everyone has gone through it this AFCON one way or the other, I think. And yeah, I'm I'm so looking forward to it. But again, I'm sitting on the fence again, unfortunately. I'm not going to make any predictions. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's get into it because, Coach, you know, it was a very kind of measured performance from, from Nigeria against Angola, kind of as we've come yeah. to expect, defensively solid, kind of one or two moments of, 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 of lovely skill from Moses Simon in particular to, to get that goal and then look with the finish. You know, but the big question is... The, the well-being of Victor Ozyman. Now, we've, we've seen images of him training today. He, we, I think he flew to Boake later than everyone else because he was still doing his medical yeah. checks. So it is touch and go. How, how are you feeling about, about that situation? And, and how much does it make a difference of having Ozyman as opposed to, you know, a Mafia or, or an Onuachi or whoever else, really? Um, so I was worried as hell because I was thinking, shit, like... Us being defensively solid literally depends on the fact that teams will overcommit and Aussie men in 1v1 duels is going to he's going to hurt anyone. doesn't matter where, where he plays, he's going to hurt anyone. And the fact that we can still be defensively solid, but then our outboard is essentially gone, it makes life very, very, very tough. We can't put pressure, we can't put pressure on, on defences, on, on counters, kind of, and we can't pin, team, pin teams in, should I say. Um, so I'm glad that he's training, but if he's not if he's not fully right, I don't think we should risk him because, you know, no disrespect to South Africa, Nigeria should should still be able to play a good game without him, but it just makes life incredibly difficult. Um, so, you know, he's he is you know he has been he is the talisman because of the role he plays in the team, but at the same time, it's not completely the end of the world. I mean, Nigeria Terra Moffi's a fantastic striker, guys. So it's just that he's a different play style and he's left footed as well. Yeah, he's left footed as well. So it's like it makes life a little bit a little bit more tricky for us, especially the fact he hasn't stopped. I don't think he's even played any minutes this Afghan has he? Yeah. So it makes it just make it would make life a little bit difficult. Yeah, it makes life a little bit more difficult. So yeah. Um I'm glad he's training for sure. I'm I'm so so glad. Yeah, and it, it's so true, like you said, you know, Nigeria have kind of gotten away with playing this really boring defensive football that, you know, they don't really have any attacking patterns. They don't have any kind of build-up play necessarily because they can just rely on Aussie men to, to create chances, to, to cause problems, to be aggressive from the front, to get them up the pitch, to link up with Lukman and mm -hmm. Simon. You know, I think it's going to be massively... You know, if he can't play, I think it hugely impacts the team. Because like you say, Mofi and, and even Anawatu to, to a lesser extent are good players. But the way you played is almost a style of football that relies on only playing with a guy like Ozzyman because no one else can do it. Exactly. In terms of the intelligent way he presses, the, the way he moves people, defenders, you know, even that, that he didn't get a goal against Angola, but, you know, that he did so much brilliant work to take out two centre-backs yeah. and, and free up the space for for, for Lookman. I guess my question would be, yeah, if, if he's not fully fit, because we know football players, you know, pretty much all the time are carrying some kind of niggling injury. You know, it's sadly they have to do that to, to kind of keep going throughout the season. But if he isn't fully right, if he isn't fully there, you know, do you think it's worth risking him from the start or would you bring him off the bench? Because we've seen, maybe not so much with Nigeria, but especially with Cote d'Ivoire, 
you know, the amount of difference it's made having Haller and Adingra coming off the bench and these good and Kessier in the game against Senegal. And then, but then this flip, it's like, well, if they were starting, would they do do better? But can you get the minutes out of them? I don't know. Like, how would you feel if, if he, you know, is kind of semi-fit? Don't risk him. Just don't risk him. Like, I think I think Nigeria also have a duty of care to to Napoli, unfortunately, as well. Like, you want to bring, you want to send him back in good nick, you know. So there's there's that as well. But while you're out here, basically, no, not honestly, not honestly speaking, like you know, we have to look at it like. From, from the bigger picture, while I want him to essentially, you know, completely give his all for Nigeria, you know, like, there's no point of playing him half fit. Just to use an example from the weekend, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan, so yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing. <laughs> but we smashed Liverpool. Liverpool risked, risked um, what's, his, what's his name? Trent Alexander-Arnold. He couldn't even finish, he, he couldn't start the second half. They, like, they, they they pushed him, basically, and he, he just looked out of sorts. Um so yeah, I don't really want that to be for the same thing for us. We start him, and then he doesn't even. It, it's, it's pointless. Do you know what I mean? Like of us starting, he's, he's half the player. I'd rather us if we're gonna start him, be sure that he's actually ready to go. So, mm. and and on the other side, we have we have South Africa now. It's you know, in our in our preview ahead of the tournament, Courtney, you were you were very kind of confident in South Africa. You said you know probably quarterfinals, but you're being confident in getting to the semifinals. And South Africa have lived up to expectation. I, I, I personally thought that this was a team that was missing Lyle Foster. And if, if they had Lyle Foster, I said that this team would get to the semifinals and they didn't. So I thought they wouldn't. But here, here we are after another game. And, you know, I find it hard to kind of what to make of Bafana Bafana because we've seen in moments, you know, I think of that first game against Mali, that first half, South Africa were such, so good. You know, that with proper proper South African football, you know, the, the relationships the players have, the interchanging, and then it kind of fell apart. And then against Namibia, we, you know, we saw that spell of brilliant football, you know, I think particularly that Zwane goal when it's a cutback from the right wing and he finishes so well. And even against Cape Verde, you know, there were flashes of it, but then Cape Verde, you know, for the most part, were the more dominant side. What, what do you make of, of South Africa? You know, it, is, it, is it the team managing games well? Is it luck? Is it kind of, how do you feel like this Bafana team has actually performed, kind of even looking past the results? Alistair, the very simple thing to say about South Africa, and, and you know, when you talk about any team, it's important to be honest here. Yeah. Um, there's nothing Nigeria need to fear from us. Nothing. <laughs> we don't, we, we don't have a, 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 a massive threat. We don't. What, what we do have in, as an advantage is for the very first time you have a group of players that are, are not, there's no internal fighting, there is no external fighting. The team is actually there undisturbed, which I'm sure the players must be so worried. What is going on? This tranquility that's existing in this camp, which has never existed, why is it here? Because if there's one thing Hugo Bruce has done at this moment and at this tournament, is created a I wouldn't even say a siege mentality, but an, an element of, well, you know, nobody's given us a, a, a real, they are a favorite. So we'll just go out, work hard and see where it takes us. And that's what the players have done. That's what the management have done. And this is, we are now at this stage. Yes, we've had a, a, a bit of a, a sprinkling of a gold dust here and there, the McQuenna free kick against Morocco. My goodness gracious. Uh, Ronaldo mm -hmm. takes that free kick. Um, 
Fernandez takes that free kick, anyone else that's a specialist takes that free kick, and people are putting that moment on their walls in their homes, you know. So mo- mo- we, we have that ability. Um, is it consistent? No. Um, are we a threat to worry anybody? No, we're not. But you don't have to always be the fashionable team. You don't always have to be Man City. There's other ways of winning games. Um, my, my brother coach there just spoke about Arsenal on the weekend. How Arsenal played on the weekend was so un-Arsenal-like. So un-Arsenal-like. They were in your face, hardworking, determined, running. Arsenal don't play like that. Arsenal are a bit more silky. Arsenal a bit more flair. Arsenal are a bit more south. They've got that bit of sauce in them. A bit better than Crystal Palace. A bit more flair. That's who Arsenal are. But they weren't there on the weekend. They were more nitty-gritty and wanted to provide no opportunities. Uh, and, and they were just hard-working. So there's many different ways of winning a game. Now, what's in our favour is that a world-class striker in Victor Osman is not playing mm. at this point in time. Would he come yeah. on? Yes, he has the possibility. Now, f- imagine for the Nigerian team, they've got this big hitter who's on the bench and they know he could turn a game at any moment in time. But he, I will say this to you, and as coach is saying, he's not fit, you don't want to risk him. Yeah. Which And that opens the door to a workman-like team like us. Nigeria yeah. haven't been spectacular to this point. We haven't been spectacular to this point. But we find ourselves at the same point. I, I hope for the spectators, it's an interesting game. No, I, just, I, just, I, just, I was going to say, I think tactically this game is going to be probably the most un-AFCON game so far of the tournament. I think both te- I think both teams have done very well getting here because they've kind of it's probably more in Nigeria's favor, favor, but we've done we've done well getting there just by actually not buying into the hype, if that makes sense. Just going about our, our job, trying to make sure that we're solid, solid at the back, and then when when our chances come, they they um we, we take them. Like there haven't really been any basketball games in the Nigeria in the Nigeria fixtures. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like South Africa have been involved in a couple, but then you've done well to to settle them down. Um, I think. What the spectators, spectators will be expecting, or or what they're you know, or, you know, the fans are thinking, oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of rivalry here. It's gonna spill over onto the pitch. I wouldn't get your hopes up too high, too high, honestly. Coach, you mind if I also say something? I want to bring in and um, I want to bring in history here as well. Something that yeah. always needs to be taken into account when anything is looked at is the patterns. Yeah. Is it's what what yeah. is going on? South Africa have a terrible record against Nigeria. Yeah. An absolute disastrous record. You know, I remember at one of the inauguration games in Johannesburg at Ellis Park Stadium, uh, it was Nelson Mandela's birthday. Massive occasion. Nigeria came and beat us at that game. Could there be a, better, <laughs> could there be a bigger occasion? They came and gave us a hiding. So I say to you, you know, Nigeria are on the front foot. They've got yeah. everything pointed to them walking over a very ordinary Bafana Bafana. But it doesn't always go that way. Yeah, yeah. It and, doesn't. And I, I, I was going to say as well. You know, we, we mentioned um, you mentioned um, Mamelodi's um, Sundowns a lot. A lot of the players are there from the club team. That synergy 
absolutely matters. It really does. It, it can, it can, it gives you it, it, in games like this. It could give you that extra 10, 20, 30 percent to take you over the line. You just, you can't really quantify it. Sometimes you don't know what effect it's going to have. So that's why, that's why I'm just keep playing my cards co- close to my chest. I'm as excited as I am. Like the nerves are definitely there. The nerves are officially here. Like we're less than twenty hours out. Like and the nerves are here. <laughs> I, and. I can understand. I can understand the nerves. I can understand the nerves because we are we have somehow got to the semi-final. <laughs> somehow got here. Okay? We haven't been brilliant, except I think for one game for maybe a half an hour. We haven't been brilliant. But we are here. We deserve to be here. And with for us sure. deserving to be here means players will go into this tournament with confidence. And I, I, I know I've said this before and I have to say it again. Our players must be so shocked. You know, every time we go to a tournament, Dalron Buckley came onto this podcast and spoke about 2002 World Cup, two o'clock in the morning, South Africa were fighting over bonuses for a game they were playing seven hours later against Spain. That problem yeah. is not there now. So the South African yeah. players must be out of their minds where is this grey cloud? When is it coming? <laughs> there can't be so much harmony in this place. Yeah. That's all confidence. Let's go and throw the kitchen at them. Got nothing to lose. And and I think you see that in the way. Well, Courtney, I know that you you know you personally have connections with with the team and and with, with guys. And you know, thanks to your your kind of prestigious football uh, career, the PSL yourself. But even even from a kind of a, a further out perspective, you're seeing like like when Rodman Williams won the game, he runs straight to Hugo Bruce, gives him a big hug. You know, you're seeing people like Graham Johnson or you know Sinasifo Mali getting like lots of praise for the work that he did in terms of the analytics supporting Rodwin and and things like that. And I think you're totally right. It's so rare to see a Bafana team kind of all pulling pulling in one direction. And I I want to move on to Cote d'Ivoire versus DR Congo. I, I want to just give you the final word, Courtney. Because we, if we two years ago, before anyone outside of South Africa had ever heard of him, you did on this very podcast an interview with Rodman Williams, and he has since gone on to that was on the verge of Mamelodi, him moving to Mamelodi Sundowns, and I remember you were trying to tease it out of him as to whether he would be leaving Supersport United. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I listened back to it; it was very funny. He, he, he's being very, uh, he's being very tactful the way, but, and then a couple of weeks later, he signs signs the deal. But for you, seeing Rodwin, who, who is someone who has been such a servant for Bafana, I mean, we, we've had, um, you know, he, he he spoke about when he came onto our podcast about the fact that he had been made, you know, uh, the manager, manager, what am I saying, the captain at 22 of Supersport United and how his kind of leadership, the quiet leadership had been so important into his success. For you, seeing him finally, perhaps at an age later than we had initially hoped, that he would get the recognition that he deserves, but nonetheless getting that recognition. You know, how do you think it, it means to, to you having, having kind of known him and interviewed him, but also as a South African kind of following his, his career? I think, I think his career path is a path that everybody should look at, you know, um, because his career path is not filled with just glory. His career path is filled with a lot of disappointments, having gone to tournaments, being very unsuccessful, being part of a, 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 a Bafana team that was much maligned, not regarded, not respected by the country. But what does he do? He sticks in there and sticks in there. And I think that, that is a life lesson for everybody. It's not just, 
He's at Sundowns, which is the biggest team in the country. Possibly, you could say, one of the biggest teams on the continent. Uh, he's the number one goalkeeper. He's the captain. He's the number one boy that saves four penalties. I, I don't think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think I've watched any game in Europe or anywhere in the world where a goalkeeper has saved four penalties in, in one penalty shootout. I've never. Um, but that, 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 is, that is the iceberg. And that picture every one of our ice, in terms of iceberg has seen, it's what's happened below that. And to get to that point, the, the, the disappointments, uh, the knockbacks, uh, but this guy has just kept going forward and proudly wanted to represent South Africa and be part of a good team. So you can't not you can't only look at the glory parts of it. You got to look at the struggle that this, this person's gone through. And you know what I'm talking about now? I think there's many players you can possibly lay this blanket over. But we're talking about Ronald Williams. And the other thing is, well, humble guy, you know, our podcast at the time. Yeah, we got to go now. Our podcast at the time wasn't in any way creating ripples anywhere else. We hadn't spoken to Pizzo. You know, we, we hadn't even developed. Look at the relationship we've developed with Coach now. You weren't at that time on board with us, Alistair, with your knowledge of, of African football. It was just two guys in a, in, a, in a basement talking about football. And we got Ronwin. So for him to give us that opportunity just also speaks a lot about the man. I couldn't be more happy for him. And I, 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 I know, not that I've heard, I know what he's doing behind the scenes has also impacted a lot in regards to what the team is like today and the face of the team. So well done to him. Well done to him. I'm very, very happy to him, uh, for him as, as a player. And, and for me as well, you know, I think, you know, coming back to this game, Nigeria will be the favorites, but I think and there will be a pressure on them because having seen what he did against Cape Verde, guess, guess right on all five penalties, made four saves, the pressure will be suddenly on, you know, in, in terms of, and you know, Nabwali has had a brilliant, a brilliant tournament for Nigeria, let's, let's be clear, but you know, if you compare him to, to Ronwin, you know, for, for one, you know, they're playing in the same league and Wabali is, is struggling to fight for against relegation for Chippa United and, and Ronwin is cleaning up with sundowns. And, you know, so I think there's that pressure on Nigeria. It's like the later this game goes, the more pressure is put on them because they know if we get to penalties, man, we got to go up against against Ronwin. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a tense, tense game. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be low scoring, but I cannot wait. Gentlemen, we have to move on to the other game as much as I would love to just keep talking about Nigeria and South Africa. And we have to move on to this, this enigma, this, this team that makes no sense, this country that has been killed once, twice, three times and still finds a way to, to raise itself from the dead, death seemingly. And that is, of course, Cote d'Ivoire. You know, no coach. You know, they don't have a, man, uh, a head coach because he got sacked. They lost 4-0 in the group stages. They lost to, to Nigeria, to coaches' boys. They should, they, you know, they, they, they found a way to beat Senegal penalties. They should have lost to Mali. I have no idea how they, they came out of that game with anything, let alone a win in, in a, an extra time, not even going to penalties. Absolute bonkers. Matches, yeah. a team, so chaotic. Coach... Are we going to be seeing something similar in, in the game tomorrow? So I was speaking to someone on, on my timeline and they were like, they're, Niger they're Nigerian as well. They're like, oh yeah, I was worried about Morocco and um, Angola. I was just like, no, 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 no. 
the other semi-final, right, between Ivory Coast and Congo, I, those, to be honest, those are the two teams left. From the quarterfinals, those, those are the two teams I was looking at. I was thinking, do you know what? There's, there's, there's something here. And the fact that they're playing each other is, is a good and bad thing. Um, but I, I'm not... I'm not counting out Congo because of how because of how well um, Ivory Ivory Coast has done. But with that, since they've sacked their coach, the flexibility and the depth of the, of their squad is actually shown. I mean, nobody expected Max Gradle to play a part in this at all. I I, I even forgot he was at the tournament, and you know I don't like him at all. He's never I've never been a fan of Max Gradle from when he was at Leeds. Just disliked. Him. <laughs> I can't explain why, but. He's come in this tournament and he's looked, he's played very well. He's played, he's played very, very well. Then you look at, you look at um, Seri. Seri has, has literally didn't start the first two or three games, I believe. And then all of a sudden now he's, he's the, he's the Mitchell Lynchpin. Kessier is coming off the bench for him now all of a sudden. There's so much, Adinger as well, there's so much that they have, so many weapons that they have that it's, it's almost kind of perfectly set up for tournament football where it's like, okay, it's not going to work today, but or work in the next game kind of thing because they've got something they've got something else to try. And that worries me. That worries me for just as a Nigerian fan, but it worries me also for Congo as well because Congo seem to be going life and death. Correct me if I'm wrong, Congo haven't won a game in, in, in normal time this tournament, have they? Not not until the quarterfinal, yeah. then they beat Guinea. No. But yeah, was that an extra time? There we go. So, no, no, that was a normal time. I think that was an extra time. Oh, was it normal? Okay, it was normal. Okay, cool. But, but, but there we go. Like, they're, they're a team that... that that can't get the that essentially haven't got the job done in ninety minutes consistently this tournament at all. It's it's set up it's set up very very finely poised because while they haven't got it done in ninety minutes, they've shown that resilience to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. It's essentially to me it's a clash of two teams that have got like an iron will like they they almost got this unbreakable will basically, and that's why it's gonna I think it's gonna be such a blockbuster of a game because both teams are just not gonna give up. Um. I'll be honest with you, I think Ivory Coast do it though. This one I am prepared to call and I think Ivory Coast do it, but I don't, I'll be honest, I don't think it goes, um, it doesn't go to penalties. It probably, it probably finishes in, in it finishes in extra time, sorry. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm prepared for it. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait for it. I'm not going into the office on Thursday, so I'm prepared for it to go all the way to penalties if it needs to. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and, and Courtney, I, I want to ask you a similar thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Courtney, I want to ask you a similar question that I asked Coach about Nigeria because one thing that has been so impressive about Cote d'Ivoire is, well, I guess, you know, it doesn't come with, with the impressive doesn't come without also the unimpressive, is it, they've always been really poor at the, at the beginning of games, you know, particularly in the knockout stages. Against Senegal, they conceded super early. Against Mali, they, you know, gave, should have given away a penalty but got bailed out by offsides, eventually did give away a penalty. And then Kosnu gets sent off in the 42nd minute or whenever it was. But even before then, Mali were all over them. You know, Mali were just by by miles the better team. They deserve to win that game through and through. But like Senegal, when it got later into the game, they struggled to manage things. They struggled to manage the occasion, the pressure. And most importantly, Cote d'Ivoire were able to bring off Sebastian Aller and Simon Adingra. And both of those players and both of those games have been transformative. It was Dingra's pass to Allaire, who then played the through ball to, to Pepe, who got, won the penalty against Senegal. In the last game, it was Dingra who scored the equalizer. Don't forget Haller hitting the post in the 98th minute from a header. Don't forget that. Yeah. 
So I guess my question again is, you know, like they've looked particularly at Dingra, maybe Allers looked a little slow, but have mm. looked fit. But again, do you bring them straight into the starting lineup? Because I've got to be honest, like I said, the, the positive doesn't come without the negative with this team. The guys who have been starting in their place, whether it's Crasso or Bolga or, you know, Pepe in the last game struggled at first, you know, whoever it is seems to be having a really bad time until those two come on, you know, do you risk it and, and start them or do you, do you hold on to them? Alisa, I actually don't think they, I think your question is an answer and maybe not even a question as I, I actually, I don't know what to do because there's just been no pattern with what this team is doing. I, I, I absolutely don't know. Like I, I'm out. Just before I came on, I was watching the Ivory Coast Mali game again because I was just trying to. I, I didn't understand this game. I really did not understand the game at all. It makes no sense how Ivory Coast are where they are at the moment. And that in itself is a problem for who they're facing. That in a problem for themselves because this unpredictability. So let's use that word when thinking of them. The DRC are so workmanlike hardworking, absolutely what we use, we have a term in Afrikaans um, in South Africa, it's called scope and donor. No, just kick and run, man. Just kick it dead and run. Just, you know, just passionately work hard. And that's who the DRC are. What a bit of whistle flair as well. But I, I can't even label Ivory Coast, man. I, I don't know what are they doing. You know, firstly, no coach. No coach. This horse is running the Grand National with no jockey. It's going. It's going to win the Grand National. There's no jockey on it. And it's in the front. What is it doing there? And then I'm looking at the players almost orchestrating themselves during the game, almost like managers on the pitch. I'm thinking, what is going on here? man? How, how is this happening? But you, then you've got to start buying into the, the, the minute details of it. There must be a team spirit amongst this group of guys. Look at how they celebrated that win, man. You know, it was almost life and death. And I must say to you, the game wasn't over. But they went off and celebrated. This is the other thing I don't understand about the FCON. I've watched three games that were not finished. And the players yeah. have gone and celebrated and the refs had to blow the whistle. Yeah. You know, this tournament has given me everything joyous about football. The Cape Verde game, they scored a winner, the people ran into the stadium. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's going on? Where's the players going? And now they've gone home. <laughs> <laughs> now they've gone home now. Now they've gone home. But, you know, they, they, I, I don't know. How do you ask me to classify Ivory Coast? I, I actually don't know. But I wouldn't want to play them. That's all I'll tell you. I wouldn't want to play them. And, and, I, and exactly, the chaos that it creates. And I think that's been what's made them win is Senegal and Mali's inability to, to manage them. Now, coach, I'm going to give you, give you a bit of a, a history lesson here. DR Congo have won the AFCON twice in their history, 1968, yeah. 1971, or 1974, yeah. sorry. Both occasions, they played the host nation in the semifinal. And on both occasions, they, they beat, beat the them, host yeah. nation in the semifinal. Can what what how does because coming into this tournament or into this match, DR Congo have been the better team than, than Cote d'Ivoire. There is no no two ways about it. Congo, despite having those three draws in the group stage, 
in my opinion, were the better team in all three of those matches. Probably should have won all three of those matches. They then mm. found finally found that gear against Guinea where they were able to put away a team that they were better than. And I think that, that showed the kind of impressive way that they could manage a game. But how do you manage a team like Cote d'Ivoire when it is so chaotic, they're so badly run as an institution, as a, as a team, and yet they have these match winners, they have these chaotic players who can create chances from nothing. Because it always seems to happen in these last minute moments, in these tough moments, Cote d'Ivoire steps up. As, you, as Congo, how do you manage that? Okay, um, so I think for sure you target you target their centre backs. You try to isolate their centre backs as much as you can. Indica and Kusunu, I think they are they're not bad centre backs, but I think they've there's they can be got out and they have been got out plenty of times this tournament already. So you find you find a way between Wissa, Kakuta. To, to isolate to isolate them and, and basically draw make them defend wide. They don't know centre backs. There's very few centre backs in world football that like going out wide basically. And the ones that do like going out wide are are the best. Like they're the best of the best by far. So you, you make them come out wide and you hope that they make I wouldn't say you hope they make a mistake. They probably will make a mistake, but you draw them out kind of thing and that's where you start getting joy. How they do it, it's it's very, very much dependent on how fit Kakuta how fit Kakuta is, I think, because they're saying yeah he's back for this now but his injury I don't feel I don't feel like it looked like something that was you just recover that quickly do you know what I mean so he might he might only be able to last 65 minutes something like that we don't know and he's one of the older players well I think he's what 33 now so it's 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 really I'll be honest with you I'm so I'm so excited about this one because it's it's finally poised but I couldn't tell you like how it's gonna go how it's gonna go Bakumbu is going to have to be huge he's gonna need to hold on to that ball so much and they're probably going to need to get Masaku involved as well, and just whip and whip those balls as much as they, as much as they can. I mean, I think Congo have been arguably one of the most oppressing teams with set pieces as well this tournament, um, defending them as well, ironically. But I feel like that's where they can probably get joy as well. But yeah, isolate Ivory Coast centre backs for sure. Hope Kakuta is fit. Wissar, Elia, Bekumbu, just hope that they can do their thing. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna say they're going to go through because I, I do think Ivory Coast will do it but that's how they, they get joy I think for sure and, and I think the other interesting thing about DR Congo is potentially not a midfield because I think Pickle and Sami have been, have been put through a lot you know they're, they're similar to that, that South African duo where they you know they're, they're not being subbed at all they're having to play almost every minute um, but in terms of forward options I think for me DR Congo is the only team that can bring on players in the same way that Cote d'Ivoire can, you know, because Cote d'Ivoire can bring on their allies, their dingoes, but even the combo are the same, you know, we, even without Kakuta playing in the last game, they were able to bring on Simon Banza and, and Silas yeah. Katumba to come on and come into the game. And I think that's where it will be interesting because where Mali didn't feel like they had much coming off the bench bar in Nene it didn't feel like they didn't have to, yeah, it felt like they didn't have much coming off. And as it got into extra time, although they did create that one half chance um, with the cross uh, when it was almost turned in by Willy Bolly, you know, it, it felt like Cote d'Ivoire somehow had more in the tank than them because they had these these subs that they could bring on. Whereas I do think that DRC have that, that can compete. Well, I'm going to say something because you said something to me the other day, right? And I don't, and since we started this conversation, we haven't touched on it. Okay, you said this to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. Everywhere we go, 
they are orange buses. Everywhere we go, things are bright orange. Everywhere we go, it's like fire. I can't keep seeing this color absolutely everywhere. Now, you must remember, this team has that support behind them as well. The stadium will be packed like never before. And the extra 10% they need, they'll be drawing from the support they have in the stadium. In the stadium and also externally getting to the stadium. They have a massive advantage ahead of everybody else. Absolute massive advantage. India, and I use the word very respectfully, India disabled form. With not having a coach and all this chaos going on in this team. They have a fantastic opportunity. Also because of the home crowd. Like, and I'll, I'll refer back to the weekend's game, Arsenal-Liverpool. Just listen to the Emirates crowd on that day. Just listen to them. You know, Arsenal, what was driving them on was the support. So yeah. Ivory Coast have got such an advantage, man. I I'm telling you, the strongest team is playing a team they don't want to play. Mm. Don't the, the, the only thing I would I would say to to flip that Courtney is um and I think the Emirates is a is a perfect metaphor for this or a comparison is that they're they're coming back to the Olympic Stadium in in Abidjan and that is the stadium in which they they lost one 0 to Nigeria and they were humiliated by Equatorial Guinea and their two wins have come outside the capital and so I think much like the Emirates that massive kind of bowl of a stadium with its huge kind of Olympic track around it and you're far from the crowds. Yes, they have a huge amount of support, but also things can turn nasty if, if it goes against them. So I, that's what I'm particularly interested to see is, you know, will they will they feel the pressure of coming back to the stadium of, of their greatest humiliation? But I think, oh man, it, I think this one is, uh, both, uh, both semifinals for me are so close to call, but especially this one, is, for me, it's on a knife. It should be, but it should be. Listen, it should be close to call. It's a semi-final, you know. It should be close to call. And I, I'm so excited to watch the games. And I'm going to go back to my point I made earlier. It's only football. Let's be excited about the football. Yeah. It got nothing to do with anything else. Let's not be silly. Let's be adults about this thing. It's got nothing to do with who lives where, who not supposed to be there, who thinks they, that someone shouldn't be there. Got nothing to do with that. It's a spectacle, it's entertainment. Sit down and enjoy it. And whoever wins, wish them well. We move on. Absolutely. And and like you Yeah, I'm I'm in total I'm I'm a total agreement. And like you say, Courtney, this is you know, this is football, man. We we've been so blessed. We even even we see look look across the uh, the, the Red Sea we see in the Asian Cup, we're seeing similar amazing stories with Jordan knocking out South Korea earlier today. You know, what a, what a time to be a football fan, particularly of a football fan outside of Europe um, and, and, and to be a football fan of football on, on the continent. And I cannot wait to reconvene. Um, you know, maybe if Nigeria wins, Courtney won't be here either. It'll just be me and coach or... <laughs> no, no, or, I'll be here. I'll be here. Yeah, because you must remember our trophy was won in the quarterfinal stage. I didn't expect us to get here. My car had no petrol to get to the semi-final. My car stopped at the quarters. So the fact that we got you, I'm just too happy. I am so so happy, Alistair. You know, you and Coach, you you heard me before the tournament. I I expected nothing, <laughs> nothing. You know, so well done. Yeah, let's let's go, man. Come on. Let's see what happens. Gentlemen, 
It has been a pleasure as always. We will, we will definitely be reconvening afterwards and I look forward to it, but I cannot wait for, for our football matches tomorrow. But yeah, we will see you on the other side, whether you're listening to this on the, on the Shirtless Plantain show or the On The Whistle show uh, feed. We cannot wait to, to watch those games. And for those of you who, who do have a foot in, the, in, in, this, uh, in this particular race, I do not. Thankfully, my, my East African brothers were knocked out a long time ago when Tanzania were, were sent packing. <laughs> but for those of you, I just I pray that you, you, you have a good night's sleep, you rest well, you, you know, you're able to, to be in comfort as you watch these games. Gentlemen, thank you so much.